everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. If you have an iPhone, this, this is for you, an iPhone. Have you ever, I mean, I have, have you ever like sent a text like I did recently and you know, you're a little bit nervous about sending the text. It's kind of like, whoa. Now, you don't want to ever text emotional stuff. Things will go sideways fast. I'm not talking about, it wasn't an emotional text. It was just a direct text to someone and I sent it. And staring back at me, All the iPhone people were laughing, those three dots. And you sort of feel this anxiety, don't you? Will the person respond? In fact, I think the the, the iPhone users have, have reported that this causes, those dots, great anxiety, consternation, angst. Like, whoa, will I get a response or not? Well, over the next couple of minutes, I'm going to talk about a text that is really, really important. And and this text demands a response. And this text I'm going to describe to you has been sent from the God of the universe to you and to me. It's so interesting because Christianity just to boil it down, is about grace. G-R-A-C-E, grace. What is grace anyway? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is when we don't get what we deserve. It's a real good thing. When we get what we don't deserve, it's a real good thing. That's grace. We've, We've been in a a series called Cover to Cover. We're reading through the Chronological Bible. If you're not on this journey, you can join today, start reading today. It's been absolutely awesome. I'm gonna tell you today a little story, a quick story from the Old Testament. I'm talking about the Old Covenant about grace. I would argue this is the greatest picture of grace in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Testament, the New Covenant. The Bible is about one hero, Jesus. One villain, the devil. One message, the divine rescue. That's the Bible. Whenever we read the Bible, we have to think about several things. Number one, what's the content? As I, as I talk about this little story nestled in the Old Testament, you have to ask yourself, okay, what, what is the content? What does this basically mean? And hopefully by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'll be able to explain the content. The next thing is, and I'll do this as well, I'll give you the context. You, you, you can't take content out of context. You have to look at the historical perspective. You have to look at the political uh, vibe. You have to understand it's in the Old Testament. You have to understand they didn't even have the complete Bible. You have to understand that 
that, that they were kind of pointing, everything was pointing to this redemptive rescue, but they didn't really understand it. But there's always God in every story, in every verse in the Bible. There's always a concept that we can apply to where we live. Does that make sense? So I'm talking about content, I'm talking about the context, and I'm talking about the concept. Content out of context leads to chaos. Ed, what do you mean? Well, I could take verses, I can pick and choose, kind of like I would at a cafeteria, and do all these biblical gymnastics and come up with some kind of cool stuff, stuff that you're going, wow, that makes sense. Problem, it's not in context and it's not the vibe or the flow of the Bible. So as a pastor and as a teacher, I want to, before God, rightly divide his word. So we're talking again about grace. Lisa and I have a dog named Honey. Lisa named her. And she's a golden doodle and she's really wild. I love her. I think she's highly intelligent. I've been out of town for a couple of days. And Lisa's coming in town tomorrow as we prepare for the women's retreat. <laughs> Ladies, it's not too late to sign up. Lisa and I will be there talking to women about retreating <laughs> and advancing. So, honey, she, she's a wild dog. And I, I love her, she's, she's smart and all that, but when I got home yesterday, and I, one day I'll tell you I had the craziest airport story that I've ever encountered in my life. I'll tell you later. You, you, you won't believe it. And, it, and it happened because of my stupidity. But I've gotta tell you how crazy it was. I went through security twice, it was, it was, it was insane. But I, even though I wanna tell you, I can't. I show up and I see Honey, she greets me, open the door of my house, and there's Honey. And you know, a friend of ours had, had, had taken care of her. And I noticed that um, there was blood in the house. And I looked and Honey had kind of a bloody paw, which you know, if you have dogs, you're gonna have that. Well, I looked in our den, blood on the carpet, blood on every chair and sofa. We had these kind of light colored things. In my office, blood on the, I have this cool rug. And I didn't mean to get into decor. It's kind of a leather kind of rug, blood on that. <laughs> blood everywhere. So I quickly bandaged her up. I did. Made this little, you know, bandage. And I couldn't really find the cut, you know. And I didn't want to take her to the emergency animal clinic because I'm studying for the message and trying to do this and that, trying to be a man for all seasons. So... <laughs> I just, I just taped it up. Well, I look, it starts bleeding again. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. So last night, I mean, honey normally sleeps in a crate because she's so wild. I thought, you know, honey, I'm alone. Why don't you and Emma, another golden doodle, you just sleep with daddy. So they were so happy, especially honey, because we most of the time have her relegated to the crate. So she's so thrilled. She's so thrilled, I could tell. She's like, oh boy, I get to sleep with you. So 
she, she's so sensitive. This was last night. I didn't even mean to share this, but I'll tell you. She woke me up every 45 minutes barking. I mean, I, I'm talking, she's a big dog, serious barking. And got up this morning, I'm studying and bleeding. Her paws bleeding, so I gave her another, another bandage. And, well, I left her in the crate when I came to church. Ed, why in the world did you tell me that story? <laughs> well, I told you that story because in the Bible, and God just gave this to me, you have just drops of blood from the book of Genesis all the way until the book of Revelation. And I'm gonna give you a drop of blood that illustrates, that points to the source, ultimately, Jesus. Here's the story. This guy's name, Mephibosheth. <laughs> Let me say it again. Mephibosheth. Say it with me. Mephibosheth. Yeah, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul. King Saul, psycho Saul. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, Saul. Saul, the first king of Israel, he went way, way off the reservation, went down the rabbit hole, had a tumultuous life. He was so jealous of David. You know David, the giant killer. You know David. Let's get ready to rumble. He took out Goliath, remember that? He was the toast of the town. Saul was jealous. Saul's son was obviously the next in line for the throne. Just stay with me now. And God went around Jonathan, tapped David on the shoulder, Saul knew about it, he went on tilt. David and Jonathan were so close. When they were teenagers, they made, here's blood again, a blood covenant. I mean, we're talking about bros, man. Blood covenant, maybe had a bro shake. You know what a bro shake is? A protein, you know, bros, we're the tight. Lululemon stuff, walk around. Protein, protein, yeah, protein, protein, yeah. There's protein in there? Yeah, okay, bro, all right, bro, yeah, bro, yeah. Anyway. So David and Jonathan made this blood covenant. And this covenant was so powerful, they were like, man, this is gonna last for generation and generation and generation. And Jonathan was like, dude, everything's cool. Bro, it's fine. God has anointed you, the next king of Israel. I know my dad's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He's psycho. I'm in it to win it, you know. Uh, uh, God's in control. God is sovereign. Well, the Philistines are fighting. Uh, the Israelites, they kill Saul. They kill Jonathan. It's going terrible for God's people. Mephibosheth, was five years old at the time. Jonathan's son, are you with me? Saul's grandson. He's in the palace living large. Word gets out, Saul is dead, King Saul. Jonathan is dead. So Mephibosheth's nannies scoop him up and they're getting out of the palace. Why? Because they knew, A, the Philistines would kill them, or B, David would kill them because he's the new king. 
As, this is so sad, as they were running out of the palace, the nurse tripped up, the nanny kind of fell, dropping Mephibosheth, his feet slammed into the pavement, crippled for the rest of his life. They covertly negotiated the Jordan River and they sort of hold Mephibosheth up in a place called Lodabar. Now the name Mephibosheth is significant. You know what the word means? You're probably discussing it over morning coffee. It means a shameful thing. How would you like that to be your name? Hey, shame, come here. Hey, shameful thing. That is a condition, crippled, lamed, doomed, destitute, depressed. That is Mephibosheth. He, he lost his grandfather. He lost his father. And I know something about grief because you know recently we lost our daughter. Can you imagine this child, what he, what he dealt with? One moment, he's a multi-squillionaire and now he's in low to bar. Click, the bar has been lowered. You know what low to bar means? You're probably discussing that over maybe an omelet. If you're a bro, egg white omelet. More protein, man, protein. Lodabar means poverty. So poor Mephibosheth. Shame, poverty. He's from the household of Saul. Everything was cool, but now look at him. Okay, so David takes the throne. David, and you can read all the details in 2 Samuel 9. I'm gonna hit some high points. David takes the throne. He's unifying Israel and Judah. Now, what does David do? Here David had been dishonored for 10 years. Saul had been trying to kill him for 10 years. Saul hated him for 10 years, for 10 years. You would think he would maybe honor himself. I mean, David. You would think he might start retweeting nice things about him, which we love to do, don't we? Maybe humble brag. <laughs> Uh, what did he do? Signed a bunch of executive orders, packed the courts. <laughs> some people wonder, some people wonder, how did David get elected? Very easy, here was his slogan. I will make Israel great again. That was his slogan. <laughs> and that's why, <laughs> that's why he won. So he's unifying. But he didn't do any of those things. He didn't want to carve his image in Mount Rushmore or write a book. Nope, you know what he did? This is strange. I'm talking, what I'm gonna tell you is so weird, but it's grace. When you don't get what you deserve, remember, it's a real good thing. When you get what you don't deserve, it's a real good thing. Second Samuel chapter nine, verse one. I, you know what I call this? The Bible machine. Watch this. Here's, here's the question David asked. He brings his cabinet together. He simply says, 
Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul? Again, let me emphasize, the former administration, King Saul, dead. His son, dead. Back in these barbaric times, and maybe even in today's world, we pretty much get rid of, don't we, the former administration, especially anyone involved in the former kingdom. So all of David's cabinets were like, oh, I know what David's gonna do. He's gonna kill everybody that's related to Saul. I mean, that's just what you do. That way you eliminate problems, right? Maybe he would trump up charges against these people, who knows, kill them, whatever, you know, all the, all the, all the things. And, and they were going, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just read part of the question. Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul? David thought everyone was gone. This is his first question. But the question continues. To whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David, what are you smoking? David, I mean, excuse me, sir. You're talking about kindness, and the word in the Hebrew is the word hesed. Hesed is a bro of grace. A fishing buddy of grace. A friend of grace. I mean, the words can be used interchangeably. So David is saying, who is left out there in the kingdom of Saul to whom I can show grace, kindness, hesed to, not for their sake, don't miss this one, please. Jonathan's sake. If you're feeling me, just nod your head, okay. Why Jonathan? I told you earlier. The big C covenant. He made a blood. There we go again. I know you see where I'm going. I'm just, I'm just explaining the Bible to you. He made a blood covenant with Jonathan. And read about it. This will go on, they said, from generation to generation to generation. So he was showing grace to crippled, maimed, Mephibosheth because of Jonathan. David is a picture of Jesus. Mephibosheth is a picture of you and me. Sinners, crippled, condemned, shamed, living in abject, Poverty. God loves you and me, and God accepts us because of what Jesus did for us. He doesn't accept us because he needs us. He's God. 
It's for covenant's sake. For the blood covenant 2,000 years ago that Jesus secured for your shame and mine, for your poverty and mine. How could Mephibosheth get an audience with the king? Mephibosheth is dishonored, destitute, but desired by the king. I'm Mephibosheth. I'm dishonored. I'm destitute. But friends, I am desired by the king. After my best day, I am a miserable, self-centered sinner. Sin is not just what I do, it's who I am, it's my nature. I'm Mephibosheth. So David, are you ready for this? So David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil. Now, 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 that's big. David had him brought. My father, if you know, has been a major Christian leader in America for the last 40 years. Numerous times he's had invitations from presidents to spend some time uh, at the White House, Democratic presidents and Republican presidents. And he's done all sorts of things. He's met with them one-on-one. He's, he even jogged one time with Bill Clinton. That was funny. And, you know, the Bushes or whatever. He's, been, he's, been, he's, he's done that a lot. He'll be the first to tell you. I didn't call up the White House and go, hey, I want to meet with the president. I really got something to say. Oh, he needs to meet with me. Heck to the no. They initiated it. I mean, arguably the president is the most powerful person on earth. They initiated it and dad responded. And he showed up and he spent a lot of time. People tell me this, oh, I am seeking God. Not really. No, really, man, I'm seeking God. I, okay, I understand what you're saying. God is seeking you. God sought you and me. It's our response. Does that make sense to you? It's, 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 it's our response to the grace of God. Don't you know that Mephibosheth dreaded that knock on the door? I bet he had nightmares about it. Oh, you know they're gonna find me. I mean, David's a warrior, he's a giant killer. Oh, he's gonna find me and kill me. And one day, and I'm sure Mephibosheth said, here we go. Game, set, and match. Think about him, crippled, handicapped, crawling to the door, opening the door and seeing David's 
driver, looking out and seeing that souped up chariot. And the Bible says that David had him brought into his presence, into the palace. David, who represents Jesus, right, is seeking Mephibosheth. He's sparing him, sparing him. He deserves, if you're just being political, death. So do I, because of my sin. Yet he shares with him. Look, look, look what he does. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid. Do you know that command is the most repeated command in the Bible? Don't be afraid, or a phrase like that is in every book of the Bible. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness. Oh, there we go again. That's Hesed, grace. For the sake, here we go again, of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. Get out of town. And you'll always eat at my table. David's like, Mephibosheth. I'm like adopting you. You will eat at my table for the rest of your life. I'm giving you all of this stuff, all of this property, all of this inheritance that your grandfather had and your father had. It's yours. Now, he didn't get healed from his crippled feet but he understood who he was, and it changed the trajectory of his life. He had nothing, let me say it again, zero zilch to offer David. David took the initiative, and David extended grace. And many of you are like nodding your head going, you know what, I, I've been a recipient of God's amazing grace. And I understand that he's adopted me into his family. That I am a guest at his table and ultimately in heaven with all the patriarchs and matriarchs and family members who know Jesus. That's, that's what's in the cards for someone who responds to the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul writes, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. What was he saying? When we don't get what we deserve, it's a real good thing. And when we get what we deserve, it's a real good thing. I was having coffee with a gentleman 
a while back. And the conversation turned to spiritual things. And I could tell just by the questions he was asking and the comments that he thought he knew about Christianity, but I could tell he really didn't. And most of you who are in that state are that way. And I asked him, I said, hey, can I just sketch out what Christianity is about, true Christianity? Because most people get this sideways. So I began to sketch out for him what most people think. I said, you know, most people, and I drew this scale, I said, most people see Christianity as a scale. If I have more good than bad, I can somehow alter the scales for the good to be above the bad, and when I clock out of here, God is gonna say, you were a good guy. You grew up Catholic. You, you grew up Lutheran and Baptist and you went to a church camp and, and you're a good guy. You're really a good guy. We have this amazing ability, I do, to compare myself to others and I compare myself to people who are a lot worse than I am. And you're the same way. Oh, I'm, I'm much better than him. Oh, I'm much more righteous than her. And we end up building our lives in the wrong place. Like many people, I have an SUV. And you won't believe this. A bird built a nest in the grill of my car. Photo evidence. Okay, that's the first, we, we, we could see it through the grill, and then we took the grill off, and there we go. You're talking about getting up in someone's grill. <laughs> that's not a good place. That's not a good environment. It's not a good place to live. And those of us who are living in Lodabar, those of us who are like Mephibosheth are living in the wrong environment. That bird in his bird brain thought, in her bird brain, wow, this is gonna be great. It's warm, it's protected. That's not a place for a bird. You're made, I'm made to have a relationship with the God of the universe. So the self-improvement plan, I'm sorry, you are going to hell. Let me repeat. You're on your way to hell, highway to hell. I'm just simply giving you the words from scripture. If you think that good works is the way to go, you're going to hell because good is never good enough. But then I explained to him, I said, you know, here's what grace is. Grace is what Jesus did for us. Grace is Jesus bridging the gap between man 
and God. God seeking us, speaking to us, offering us eternal life, forgiveness, cleansing. I mean, it's the only way that, it's the only way that works. So I've gotta ask you, Mephibosheth, have you responded to God's text? Because I would say there's even cosmic tension in the God of the universe as he sent this text directly to you. What's your response? Well, I gotta get cleaned up and changed. Wait a minute, David met Mephibosheth right where he was. Dirty, shameful. Read your history. Mephibosheth hated David. But he responded. Because he realized he was desired by the king. When we don't get what we deserve, it's a real good thing. And when we get what? we don't deserve, it's a real good thing. Would you bow? No one moving or stirring at any of our campuses, whether you're in Fort Worth or you find yourself in Florida, Frisco, Alaska Ranch, online. I'm gonna pray a prayer right now, and this is a prayer that I have prayed during my Mephibosheth moment, and this is a prayer that you need to pray. I'm talking about the guts of the gospel, what this life, what this deal is all about. God has sent you this text. He said, you know what? I love you. You matter to me. I love you so much I sent my son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins, to spill his blood and to rise again. Jesus offers you and me forgiveness and grace. Won't you just receive it? Well, Ed, how do I do it? Just by simply saying this to yourself, just say, God, I believe in you. I turn from my sins, from my shame, from my poverty, and I accept your invitation. I ask you, Jesus Christ, to come into my life. Just say that, I give you all that I am and all that I'll ever be. I give it all to you, Jesus. Thank you for listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.